Welcome to the Off Lead Podcast, presented by Gun Dog Outpost. My name is Tyler Meaden, and I'm your host. On today's episode, we are talking with Kelsey from Beaver Creek Kennels down in South Carolina. Kelsey does all the uh, obedience work for Beaver Creek Kennels, um, and they funnel up into the, their gun dog program. Um, she recently wrote a blog titled The Five-Step Guide to Choosing the Best Dog Trainer for You. Now, you know that I'm a big advocate of training your own dog um, as long as you can. Uh, however, I, I also realize that it's not always possible given the hectic and chaotic lives that, that we often lead. So if you need to send your dog off to a professional trainer, even if it's just for one or two months because you had a um, long travel period for work or whatever it might be, um, there's a lot of great advice in this podcast episode um, just for you. Uh, that you'll be able to pull out of this conversation. So we talk a lot about the processes and operations in place at Beaver Creek Kennels, uh, which will give you some great insight into how, you know, a professional, on, into how a professional training setup operates. There's, it's very relevant given the conversation. Um, and lastly, the big thing here, or one of the other big things we touch on, something that I'm clearly not very educated about, which you'll hear once you listen to this, is the four quadrants of operant conditioning. So positive reinforcement, reinforcement, positive punishment, negative punishment, and negative reinforcement. Needless to say, I have some studying to do. Now, one quick note is that we did have some technical difficulties recording this podcast, which you'll, you'll hear. Um, I did my best to clean it up, though, so, so bear with me on that. And then um, there's one thing that does not have any technical difficulties, and that's gundogoutpost.com. So we touch on training tools in this podcast and gundogoutpost.com has all the training tools that you need to train your dog from check cords to slip leads to bumpers. So head on over to gundogoutpost.com, uh, take a look for yourself. And then when you are done picking out your training tools and you head out to train your dog, be sure to grab a bottle of hoist. So what is hoist? Uh, hoist is an IV level hydration and recovery drink. It's one of three, just three approved electrolyte hydration beverages that the U.S. Department of Defense uses. So if this is good enough for our troops, um, you know, I, I would think it's uh, good enough for, for you and me and the other average Joe hunters and trainers out there to, to help rehydrate, um, whether that's after a long training session, a day in the upland field, or a cool morning in the duck blind. You know, we spend so much time uh, taking care of our dogs. Let's just take 60 seconds um, and help take care of yourself by rehydrating with hoist. So, Without further ado then, let's just go ahead and dive into this podcast. Kelsey, welcome to the podcast. Hi Tyler, how are you today? I am living the dream. How about yourself? Doing pretty well, enjoying a nice drive to deliver a dog for a client. Perfect, perfect. Well, I'm glad we caught you in some downtime. Um, I know you're super busy, so I appreciate you jumping on here. Um, and as we get started, uh, why don't you just tell everybody, um, you know, where you're from, um, you know, the, the kennel that you work with. All right, so I am from St. Matthews, South Carolina, which is about 20 minutes outside of Columbia. Um, I work for Beaver Creek Kennels. Um, they were established in 1992. I had the wonderful opportunity of stepping in um, as the current daughter-in-law and only daughter-in-law into an entirely family-run business. Um, 
So the business is owned by my mother-in-law and father-in-law, Kathy and Randy Hoffman. Um, they have been dedicating their lives to gun dog training, obedience training, and breeding high-quality Labradors um, since about 10 years before they actually opened the kennel. Um, and they got, a, got their first dog in 1984, and I think he caught the bug. And as many of you know, once you get your first dog, you're hooked. Yep, that's that's how it happens. That's definitely how it happens. So do you do you train full time then? Yes, so I am the full time obedience trainer there. Um, Randy, my father in law, is our full time gun dog trainer and my mother in law, Kathy, um, does obedience with me as well. And she does primarily the care of our kennel. Um, she also does all of our whelping and breeding services. So we have couple of different stud dogs and females and we do full AI on site um, for our own personal dogs and occasionally we will help um, our clients create their next little generation. Sure, sure. Do, how many dogs um, do you guys typically have in to your kennel for, for client dogs? I have about eight. Kathy usually has about six and Randy has between eight and ten. Um, wow. And then we about 12 of our personal dogs that are either um, retired, um, current breeding dogs, or current working dogs. Okay. That's a lot of, that's a lot of dogs. If I'm doing the quick math, um, we're like in the 34 to 36 dog range at one time. Yep. Wow. So we have 40 kennels on site. Um, we are extensively busy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't, I don't believe you. You're, the only time we could, we could uh, connect is when you're driving. You're not busy. <laughs> yeah. So we are extensively busy and we're very thankful for that. Um, we've finally kind of gotten into a rhythm over the last year with adding me onto the team um, of how many dogs we can take, what's too much, what's not enough. Um, and we finally got into a point where now um, we've got some good numbers going and uh, really enjoying the process. Sure, sure. Does uh, does Randy or does does Beaver Creek Kennels? Do you guys do hunt the hunt test game? So Randy did a lot of hunt testing um, in the late '70s, early '80s, up into mid '80s, very early '90s. Um, and as you grow older, you kind of get into what your niche market is. Right. He, although he really appreciated, um, and we still all do um, occasionally attend our hunt tests, um, our, or at least Randy's niche client is the occasional older gentleman. So sure. what we like to work with are the people who are kind of taking their dogs around hunting every once in a while, but really more your hobbyist. Sure. Yeah. I think that's, you know, the, the hunt test game or the hunt test market itself is actually really, really small. You know, the, the much bigger market that's out there, the people that are training their dogs to be family dogs, to be, um, you know, gun dogs, to be, you know, you know, family gun dogs, companion gun dogs. That's, you know, I, I like running hunt tests cause I'm, you know, competitive and it's a fun little game. I get to play with my dog, but that's definitely not, um, 
that's not the larger market, that's for sure. Exactly. And so when you're going into a business element of it, you get into what is your drive. And when you're in those hunt test markets, that's your clientele. You're trying to be competitive. You're functioning off of that. But when you're trying to reach into a clientele of the dog as a part of your family and the part of that unit, it's just a different approach. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot more laid back. There's not as much pressure to try to meet a certain deadline or a right. certain expectation. Um, and for us, it really allows us to meet the training goals on the dog schedule yes. and not on a time frame. <laughs> yeah, no. And that's, you know, I can speak to that mistake a lot because you, you know, you sign up for a hunt test, you know, it's say it's June. I sign up for a hunt test in August. It's like, well, I've got a lot of progress to make in two months here before we're, before we're actually ready to run. Um, and you can't always do that, you know, so, you know, sometimes you, you try to go too fast or you, you end up putting too much pressure on the dog and you end up going backwards. So, um, you know, every dog is different. So I think I really like the approach. I think it makes it, it makes a ton of sense to me. Um, and it's, you know, keyword, I, I think I talk about a lot is patience. And I think your program emphasizes that instead of, you know, a very, very strict timeline. Exactly. Um, so I think, especially in the world that we live in now everybody is kind of searching for this instant gratification and yes. when you're working with dogs training never stops mm -hmm. you always had the ability to make progress to change things and when you put a time frame on it sometimes you know whether it be a competition or a personal time frame um, you can leave yourself getting a little disappointed um, and then you know, that leaves fallout for everybody so. yeah it does it does and it, we, we do live in a world of instant gratification I think you know, if you, you know, can get into the actual training process and enjoy the training process, you'll find a lot of instant gratification, especially when you work with young dogs. At least that's me personally. Like I like, I like working with, you know, dogs that are, you know, puppies that are, you know, six months old, you're teaching them basic obedience work and they can pick it up so quick. And, you know, for me, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy seeing that versus the, the grind of like a finished level dog. And, and I still enjoy that grind, but it's, you know, I'm, I'm training really hard for a week to make, you know, you know, a millimeters worth of progress versus in a week, you're, you know, you can teach a dog sit in place and, you know, he can get the start of the fundamentals, the basics. So, so that's where for me, I, you know, I'm an obedience trainer primarily. Yep. I get to work with puppies. I get to work with older dogs. I get to work <laughs> with dogs of all different breeds. And although our program is an open-ended program and we don't put time frames on things, um, it allows me to be able to have those moments of instant gratification, but also at the same time, watch the process yeah. and see the growth in the individual dog and in, and in their owners as well. Yeah. And so when you're, when you're working with dogs, you're the, the obedience trainer, do you, do you have dogs that then funnel up to, to Randy for the, for the gun dog piece when you have like a, a gun dog breed that you're working with? So that is part of what we do. A lot of times, especially if we have a younger gun dog breed come in, we do question if they want their dog to be gun dog evaluated during the obedience process. Um, Randy always has live birds on site. And if the client is interested in that, we always um, do a special session to evaluate them in front of birds, see what their drive is, see if there's any type of um, difficulties that would make the training process longer to kind of give an idea to the client on what their investment would be to pursue that. Um, and kind of go forward from there. So I do start our 
basic obedience is like you've said a million times the foundation of a good gun dog yes. and so i will often start the obedience get them to a good point for him and then pass them off to him to put on those harder level drills and go up into like you were saying earlier the more tedious work of things yeah yeah and so um you know as i as i think about that too and you, and you mentioned you work with all sorts of different breeds and you know, me personally, I've had the chance to work with, you know, a, a number of different breeds, not as many as you, I don't think, because um, I think you guys get a lot of uh, basic OB dogs. And do you, do you feel like working with different breeds has made you a better trainer? I absolutely feel like working with different breeds has made me a better trainer. For right now, for example, right now I have labs, I have Boykins, I have pointers, I have some setters. Um, and then I've got pit bulls and random mixes of whatever shelter dog I'm getting thrown. <laughs> and you have to be able to be open-minded to your approach. Um, I feel like, especially in the obedience world, there's like this cookie cutter, you approach it the same exact way and the dog can do it all in the same exact function. Um, but when you slow the process down and you really get to know the animal and the way that the animal learns best, you can get into more detail on that. And then, oh, well, this dog taught me to do it this way, so I'm gonna try this. And it really expands your toolkit um, and varies your approaches to be able to have different ways to go about teaching the same exact thing. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's a really good point. And I think uh, you mentioned toolkit. I think that's a really good segue to um, talking about your training philosophy, like your influences. Obviously, you know, you're, your, um, your mother and father-in-law, they, they run the business. I'm sure they've been like a tremendous resource in, in teaching you the game, but you know, who else is out there, um, from an influence standpoint, what are, what are resources that you're, you're looking at on a regular basis? So my major resources in terms of obedience are Sean O'Shea. Um, he is the good dog out of, um, Los Angeles, I believe. He also has some kennels, or he has a training program in New Orleans, and I believe he's starting a new one in North Carolina. I'm also pretty heavily influenced by um, canine performance and South End dog training in England. Um, they're all some really phenomenal, um, just science-based training. When I talk about a science-based approach, your primary influence on that is your pure positive training people and so i'm going to kind of go into a little detail on my main theory and that is off of operant conditioning mm -hmm. you have four quadrants of operant conditioning can you hear me yeah i can hear you yep keep going all right so you have four quadrants of operant conditioning and that is positive reinforcement positive punishment negative reinforcement and negative punishment I use those four elements in training to build and shape the behaviors of every dog that I get in touch with. Yes. And I think this is, think? I, yeah, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt, but I, this is like a really, it's, I don't think a lot of gun dog owners think about things in this way. And it's something I need to get more familiar with. And I, I think it's, I think it's really, really important. So sorry. I didn't mean that. I just wanted to put that in there. Sorry. Keep talking. Okay. So I feel like this is super important to a lot of our gun dogs trainers because you're talking about shaping a specific behavior and when you learn into the start looking into the deeper psychology of learning whether it be for dogs or for people um, you can go into some of Skinner's research if you're super interested in this and total nerd like me um, <laughs> but I'm not going to go that far for you guys today um, but basically on the, the purest extent of it it's adding good things 
to make good things keep happening, removing good things to prevent things from happening, adding bad things to prevent things from happening, and delaying the response of a bad thing to maintain a behavior. Sure. Um, so some of the things that you and I have talked about is an example would be when you're getting into for the easiest explanation example would be healing. Sure. So you can do treat work, get into your focus element, or if you're doing food work, which I really kudos to you if you're doing food work over doing treat work, treat work. Um, but you're looking for that eye contact and you're shaping the position and you're shaping the, the drill through the treat work, especially with puppies and, and younger dogs. Um, sure. And is that, and po- start- is that positive reinforcement then? Like you're, so you're that putting- is your, that is your positive reinforcement. That's also where your clicker based training is going to come in. So okay. you can start um, clicking, treating, clicking, rewarding. Um, I personally do that in layers. Um, so we do the treat, then the click, and then I start removing all of that and I just turn it into yes. Um, so that way I don't have to constantly have this bag of treats and sure. doing that. Sure. That, um, makes, that makes a lot of sense. There's still that positive reinforcement element. It just yes. it shifts from the treat and the clicker to the verbal command, which you, you use yes. Okay. That makes sense to me. Yep. So that makes it a much easier process for the dog as well, because they're still learning like, oh, the food comes from her. This is good. They're, oh, the click is good. But then the yes becomes a layer throughout all of the training. So once they understand that the yes is the thing that they're looking for, they're able to associate that through all of their behaviors. Mm-hmm. So going into heal the waiting element of it, the positive punishment element of it is the delay of those things. So I am very minimalist whenever I'm communicating verbally with a dog. So I'm not going to be using any phrases. I'm not going to be using any you know silly words back and forth. The only words that I'm going to be using are their specific training commands. Okay. Um, so when I'm shaping a heel or a swing heel, for example, if I'm coming around with a treat, and they're just distracted or not fully focusing in on me or trying to spin the opposite direction, I'm gonna completely remove that. So they have to wait for it. And then they're like, oh wait, why did that go away? Makes them think for a moment. Okay. And then they learn through repetition that when they get into that specific position, the treat comes. Okay, so that's like, that's the negative reinforcement? that. That is your positive punishment. That's your positive punishment, okay. Yep. Okay. And you're gonna have to bear with me here. This is, it's still new to me. So I'm going to, I'm going to mess this up a lot, but keep going. You're perfectly fine. Um, and I am not going to say that I'm not going to accidentally word something the wrong way either. Um, because it can get confusing at times. Um, but I'm going to try to be as clear as possible whenever I do explain these things. Um, I think you're doing a good job. Keep, Keep going here. Then we'll talk about more of our punishment elements of things. So punishment is going to get into um, stopping a behavior of something the dog wants. Um, You can use this for your gun dog people, like your happy bumper. Um, You've had to be, um, you have to wait, you have to be steady before you can get there. Mm -hmm. And then once you get to that point, the happy bumper is that release. So Mm -hmm. they're less likely to do that behavior because they had to wait for it. So sure. then you're increasing the steadiness of that. Sure. Okay. Um, going into um, 
negative reinforcement is when you are stopping a behavior that like the dog doesn't want. So this is where I get into a lot of leash pops or um, you can get into your e-collar corrections for things like that. So sure. um, this is a quadrant that a lot of your pure positive trainers um, completely isolate. They don't function in this quadrant at all mm -hmm. okay. um, because it's your consequence. Um, for me, whenever I'm teaching heel, if we go back to heel, um, it's the leash pops. So you're getting a little forward. I'm going to pop, I'm going to correct that, say no, and then put you back into the heel position. Okay. And so they're getting, they're psychologically understanding that the leash pop is an unwanted, like that's an unwanted behavior. I don't want to have to pop the leash, but if sure. I need to, it's the correction of that behavior to put them back in the one that you need. And that's using the physical elements to delay that. Mm -hmm. um, and that, and that Over. makes, yeah, that makes, that makes sense to me. I think, um, you know, as I, when I think about this and, you know, when we had chatted before, it's the, like the positive and negative, I think the punishment side is where I get a little, a little, I always get fuzzy and I don't know why that's just me being, um, and it's, it's hard to kind of overlay those things as well. Um, mm -hmm. I, I sometimes will even misquote it. I think no matter how much like you can be ingrained in, doing an action and knowing what that action is when you're trying to give the example of things, sometimes it gets a little fuzzy for everybody. Sure. Um, sure. And, and I'll go back and study it at some point. I mean, there's a lot of different training programs and resources but, and materials that I want to look at. And that's, this is definitely one of them. Cause I, I just want to know more. I just, I'm a, I need to learn. I'm a constant learner. So um, I'll yes, go back and study yes. it. And then when we chat again in the future, um, I'll, I might be able to have like a basic conversation with you about it. <laughs> you're good it's it's it, it really can be hard to explain and so for like for me working with a lot of my clients getting into the deeper psychology of the training is not something that they can even like remotely have a conversation about because right. it's just it's difficult and they're like well just tell me what to do yes. and I'll do that you don't yes. and it can it can lead to confusion and so whenever I'm you know for me I'm training your dog and then I'm teaching you how to maintain that long term right and if I get too deep into it people kind of zone out and I don't blame them quite frankly um, they simply want to know the basics of how do I get from A to B yep yeah no and that's you know that's the thing and that's you know, people are, you can be process oriented with dog training and that's, that's good, right? You need to know the process for me. I'm like, I'm like a training philosophy nerd. I want to know why am I doing this? What is, you know, what am I looking for? What are the, what is the under, what is the under the surface thing that this is really doing? And I think, you know, thinking of things and, you know, positive reinforcement, positive punishment, negative reinforcement, negative punishment, and those quadrants, that's a whole different level for me from a philosophy standpoint. And so, um, even right now, as we're talking about it, I'm like, oh man, I, I'm, I'm mixing things up in my mind. So if, um, you know, if, if anybody else listening is confused, that's okay. Cause I am too, but I think, <laughs> I think, no, I think there's a lot of good there because like it, it, the way you're talking about shaping and molding the dog is, is perfect, right? That's the way, you know, and every dog is so different and every dog is going to have different quirks and things that you have to work through and, you know, you have to mold them. And this, you know, the way you think about things is, is part of the way that you're molding the dogs into, you know, obedient family dogs or obedient gun dogs and laying that foundation. So I think that's, I think that's great. 
Um, and I have so much research and learning to do <laughs> and a lot of coffee to drink along with it. So, um, all right. What I want to transition to, and this is, this is the, the whole reason for our conversation, Kelsey, is because you wrote a blog um, about, you know, if, so let me back up. So you wrote a blog and it, the blog is called how to, how to pick a pro trainer essentially, and or how to choose the best dog trainer for you. And, you know, I'm a huge proponent of, you know, people training their own dog. There's a lot of resources out there. I mean, there's so I talk about the same ones all the time. You brought, you know, mentioned a couple of new ones like canine performance, you know, South end dog training. Um, but I realized not everybody is going to be able to have the time, the inclination, the resources to actually train their own dog. And so I think this is a really important topic, right? So you, you, you tried, you can't do it. You don't have the time, right? We all have job commitments. We have life commitments, you know, whatever it might be. So um, I'm going to get to why this is so important. And we're going to talk about each of the five, um, you know, tips that you shared in there. So um, how do you pick the best dog trainer for you was your blog. And you had um, first one, first tip was do your research. So expand on that. What do you, so if someone's looking for a, for a professional trainer, how should they research their, you know, professional trainers that are out there? The first thing that I want to address when I talk about doing your research is knowing what your comfort zones are. So learn about different dog training tools. If you are remotely against the idea of a shock collar, if you are remotely against the idea of a harness, whatever training tool that you come to mind, research it and research what they're used for and how to use those specific tools. Um, know a little bit about the dog training process before you get started into it. And this is specifically for, you know, first time dog owners, um, dog owners that are wanting to get into more gun dog work, those sorts of things. So really get into the meat of the tools um, and what the different tools classify into the different trainers approach. Sure, um, sure. The amazing thing about our modern society is that there are so many free assets, um, mm -hmm. not specifically my blog because it's relatively new, but there are so many different videos on YouTube and explanations that can, that are your free, your free resource to kind of shape and see what you're comfortable with and what you're not comfortable yeah. with. Yeah. The main point of that is if you are uncomfortable with using a training tool that is in your trainer's toolbox, you're not going to be able to successfully learn from them because you're going to have this weird love hate relationship about it. <laughs> and the approach is never going to be able to, you won't ever be comfortable. You won't ever be able yeah. to reach that level with your dog. That, so getting to that point is, is super important. And once you make that decision, then you can kind of shape out the next part of what I talk about in sure, the blog. Sure. Yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Right. And that's because you're, what you're talking about is having alignment on you know, having alignment on what you envision with your dog and, and you know, the way that your, whoever you choose your professional trainer is actually going to train that dog. Um, you know, it makes it, it makes a ton of sense. Um, your next tip was give them a call. So you, you really want people to pick them up and give them a call and just talk with them. Yes. So for me, I tend to be a little bit quieter through email. Um, sure. I'm a little bit more professional and Kurt, I have a business degree. So my 
response via email is a little bit dry. Um, and there's only but so many exclamation points that I can use without seeming a little crazy. So, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like I've kind of mentioned a bunch is that we're in this modern age. You can go to a lot of websites, sign your dog up for training, make a deposit, and then not have ever had a conversation with the trainer until you're ready to drop your dog off. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, whenever I get to know people, I and you, I feel like are a lot of the same with your appreciation for psychology. I can kind of read in a few minutes of having a conversation with somebody. If there's somebody that I'm going to be comfortable with, yep. Um, not only is this a financial investment, but it's a it's a heart investment. Yes. You're sending a very important piece of your life to to be trained by another person. If you and if you don't feel comfortable with their approach, if you don't feel comfortable with their demeanor, their personality, then you're probably going to butt heads. Um, and that's the last thing that you want when you're pursuing this type of training. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I am, I'm big on, you know, I, I, I want to know people that I'm try that I would be trusting my dog with, right. I want to actually get to know them a little bit, right. I want to know, like if I'm, if I ever envisioned sending my dog off, which I wouldn't do, but if I did, because I didn't have the time or the resources or whatever it might be, I, I want to know who they're going to. Are they, you know, what is, yeah, it just, I got to know them on a, a little bit more personal level. So I get comfortable. And as a trainer on being on the opposite end of that, I want to know what your expectations are for me. So that way I can make sure that I am meeting that level or that, or I can make the recommendation to another trainer because I don't necessarily fit what your goals are. Sure. Um, and I don't ever want anybody to pursue training and it not be what their plans were, their intentions were. Um, and if you're, you know, for example, I'm a balanced e-collar trainer. So like if you're not comfortable using an e-collar, I'm going to talk with you about why you could be. But on the same note, if that's not something that you're okay with, then I'm probably not the trainer for you. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you, I have plenty of recommendations of a trainer that, would probably be more suitable match for you. Sure. Um, and I feel like most ethical trainers, uh, moral trainers are going to be in that same position. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I mean, in, in the end, you, you know, I, I want the person, you know, I want the, the client dog and the client to, you know, essentially be comfortable with me and be aligned with the things that I'm going to do. So uh, that makes it makes a ton of sense. All right. Um, the third point you had there was ask about their resume and toolbox. Ah, so this one is very interesting. And I primarily brought this up because the girl that asked me to write this blog is obedience. Um, and unfortunately for balance trainers for most gun dog trainers there are not a lot of certification programs nope there's um, not there's, there's like can, none i mean it's, it's like <laughs> it's like here there's not like they're, i've they're, trained i've trained dogs for x amount of years my dogs have you know hunt test titles if you do that or here come watch my dog work or watch how obedient my yeah. dogs are that i train i mean that's it and so you you have to trust people and that's why i always start with the phone call like if you get a bad vibe on the phone call that back out now like (laughs) but asking about their resume and asking about you know what they've done gives them the opportunity to brag a little bit it gives them the opportunity to tell you 
what they've learned, how they've learned it, and their approach. Mm -hmm. um, the next piece of that is your positive only people have these fun letters at the end of their names um, that <laughs> I congratulate them for. It. It's amazing. I'm so glad that they have the dedication to do that and that there are those um, amenities out there for them. And there's so many different alliances and things like that to keep them accountable um, where there's not as much of that. Well, I mean, there's not any of that <laughs> nope. in our gun dog world. Um, so like I was saying earlier, Randy doesn't hunt test. He doesn't, I mean, he can, he doesn't want to though. It's just right. not who he is. That being said, he has got a record a mile long. He just hasn't done it in 20 years. Yeah. It doesn't mean that he's a bad trainer. It yeah. just means that that's not what his niche market is. Right, right. Um, and he's been so, and he's been doing it for 28 years, officially in business <laughs> for 28 years. So that's that's a pretty nice resume builder right there. Yeah. yeah well, so, I've been training gun dogs, um, quality gun dogs for 28 years. Um, Mike exactly. Drop. And doing that, you know, full time is hard. <laughs> it is. It is a lot, um, very hard. For all the gun dog trainers or uh, even personal, you know, individual trainers uh, listening right now, you probably know what the burnout feels like. Um, you get up in the morning, you got to take care of dogs. All day long, you're worried about dogs. You get in the evening, you feed yourself and then you feed dogs and then all repeats over and over and over again. And so to do it for that long, really shows where a person's you know dedication is and and what their passion truly is yes um because if you are not prepared for the 24 7 365 rain sleet snow lifestyle it's gonna get you it yeah. will 100 Get you. It will um, it will eat you alive. I think I I talk about how like I I'll fill in for my buddy who you know, he takes a vacation. I go train you know his you know ten or twelve dogs. You know I'll go put it in the day's work at work. And I I I'm not conditioned to being outside because I work at an office job. But yeah. Holy smokes! I am absolutely destroyed after day one, and it could be like three or four days in a row when I have to do that. So yeah. So. I, right now, I currently average between six and eight, maybe 10, depending on the day, miles a day, just walking. That's not, um, I don't like to exercise. <laughs> like I, that's no dedicated exercising. Um, <laughs> that's now, a lot of miles. I also, like, I also have six horses, but, okay. um, <laughs> so there's a, that's a small portion of that is in the horses, okay. but, um, it, it's, it's a lot. I mean, when you're working dogs that consistently, there's always something to do and you have to be flexible with it. And so being able to have a person that can be dedicated to that kind of lifestyle for that duration of time really says something about who they are and why they're doing their job. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so resumes aren't always everything when it comes to like certifications and stuff. But there are so many different ways that people can show you their loyalty and their dedication and their ethics as a trainer outside of what a piece of paper says. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's, I think that's really good advice. And then that leads into number four, which is schedule a meeting at the facility before booking. So this one I'm a little back and forth on at times, but I primarily wrote this blog for the weary you know, dog owner, 
one sure. that's unsure of their process. Um, I would do the same thing, but... though. I would definitely do that. <laughs> I want to I exactly. see where my dog's going. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, for me, it's not a requirement to be enrolled in our program. Most dog trainers don't require you to have to come to the facility before drop-off. Um, the reason for that is I train dogs. I've got a dog coming in um, at the end of October that's from Pennsylvania. I've got another dog coming in from about four mile, four hours above us. Like Oof. we have very long visits, like very long drives to meet with our clients. And so that's not always a feasible thing. Um, that being said, the reason why I recommend this is because of trust. Um, like you said, if you're going to send your dog somewhere, you want to know where they're going and you want to see that place. And you want to make sure that they're safe and that they're comfortable and that you are comfortable with their environment that the dog is going to be in. Yeah. Um, so I want to touch base a little bit on this specifically because of specific rules that we have for our kennel. Sure. Um, so we have an outdoor kennel. Um, our aisleway is uh, everything's covered. It's all under a roof and we have a center aisle in the kennel. Um, so we'll, we have clients over we do not allow them to walk down our center aisle way that being said you can see all of the dogs from the exterior you can see everybody's condition you can see their living space you can see water food blah 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 blah, blah all the things that you need to feel comfortable sure but the reason that we don't do that is because we are an obedience training kennel mm -hmm. i have dogs with bites on record i have dogs that are not maybe as used to people. Um, sure. It's more of a safety element for both the dog and for people. Yeah, that, um, make, that makes a whole bunch of sense. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. Because I mean, so, I, honestly, if it, like when I go help my, my, you know, help my buddy run his kennel out, like, oh man, if you, if you get in front of, you know, if any of the dogs see you, they are one barks, they all bark and it is a zoo. They won't, they just, they feed off each other energy wise. Exactly. And so if you've got an already aggressive dog and then a new person coming in, it can escalate situations like that very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be on top of that, um, which is why we have that rule in place. Yeah, makes um, sense. So that's always something that I put out there for people to know, because, you know, it, at first that might seem a little like shady, like, oh, well, why can't I walk in the kennel? Um, especially if you're already on the defense about a training program, which sure. is normal. Um, yep. I think everybody kind of needs to go in with their guard up so you can be aware of the things that might throw up red flags. Um, but don't be afraid to ask why, you know, whenever you get into details on those kinds of things, like I just explained, that's a safety thing. Yes. It's not because I don't want you to see the dogs in there. If you yeah. want to see any of those dogs in there, I will be glad to if they're not dangerous, <laughs> pull them out for you. Like, <laughs> right. You can see whatever condition they're in. Right. Right. Um, and that makes sense. Right. If you, I mean, you know, ask, ask as many questions as possible. I mean, if you're visiting, exactly. like ask a ton, you like, you'll, you'll start to understand how you operate, you know, why you operate the way you do and things will start to make sense. And if they don't make sense, well, the red flag, red flag, right. Exactly. And that's why that visit, I feel like is so important for me. I'm very hands-on. I'm a very body language oriented trainer. Um, so when it comes into that, like, I would like to meet you. I want to see what your demeanor is. Are you a, a soft-spoken person? Are you um, more head, like heavy about things? How do you, how do you currently interact with your dog? Sure. Um, and then for the client, 
I want you to see how I'm going to interact with the dog. Anytime we do an appointment like that or an interview, I usually spend 20 to 30 minutes just working over some basics with things, showing the owners how I approach things, um, given my different um, examples of the quadrants and training. Um, I try to do that in a way that they you know, can feel comfortable with me because that's my goal. At the end of the day, if you don't feel comfortable with me, I can't ever feel comfortable with you and I can't do my job the way that I want to or that, the way that you deserve mm-hmm. if that trust in that relationship isn't there. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think that that leads then into, I think it leads well into the last one, which is trust your gut. Exactly. Um, all throughout this blog, I talk about looking for the red flags. Um, if you see things that aren't you know, kosher. If you see dogs that are in really small pens and they look like they're a little on the skinny side, or if they look like they're not very clean, or if water buckets are dirty, or if there's just stuff everywhere, like if it doesn't look like an organized process, or if it doesn't look like something that you can truly feel comfortable with, go with another option. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get into this position and you're you're pursuing a professional trainer. Um, you're, you're giving them your kid, basically. Essentially, and- <laughs> yes. That's the way I look at it. I mean, literally, <laughs> I have, I, you know, my, my daughter is 11 months old, going on one year old, and my firstborn will always be my dog. <laughs> exactly. It, exactly. And so if you're thinking about, you know, safety, if you're thinking about humane care and all of those different elements, if there's anything that makes you uncomfortable, if there's anything that makes you take a step back, they're probably not the place for you. Yeah. Um, and if you get any of those red flags, don't be afraid to question somebody about it. Like, mm-hmm. hey, why does that dog look like that? Or why does this look this way? Um, there's so many elements of it that I think sometimes people can get a little too caught up in and those red flags turn into things that they really don't need to be quite that frustrated or consumed by. Right. Um, so that's where, you know, just ask why. It, mm-hmm. it helps open the playing field for the trainer. It helps open your, you know, playing field as an owner to be able to approach things, you know, as openly and upfront as possible from all parties. Yeah, absolutely. And I think asking, you know, your point about asking why, if you see something, like if you see a dog that's skinny, that you should definitely ask, right? Your red, your red flag should go up. And there may be a logical reason. And I can think of a dog that I worked with that had like a thyroid issue. So it was like 20 pounds underweight because the, you know, the owners finally got it figured out. Um, and then it was healthy, finally healthy enough to be able to go off to, um, you know, to, to the, to my buddy for, for training. Um, but it's still, I mean, it just looked a little malnourished, so it looked really thin. And if, you know, someone sees that I just ask, there's probably a, there's probably a logical reason. And if there's not, well, there's your red flag. There's your, there's your gut instinct and time to move on. Specifically noting weight, um, especially for obedience programs is, this is not, I don't know if this is, I guess it can kind of go into terms with gun dogs, but most pet dogs are overweight. <laughs> yes. Um, That's a pet peeve. <laughs> it's a pet peeve for me too. Um, and so when, you know, a, a bystander looks at my dogs, they're like, oh, they're skinny. And I'm like, no, they're fit. <laughs> you, you, you're looking at two different types of things. Um, you're looking at a runner body versus a bodybuilder body. And then you're looking at an obesity issue, uh, mm-hmm. or three different things there. 
So, you know, the dogs in my kennel are all at a healthy weight right now. Yes. Um, I have a couple of dogs that are older. They have, they're harder to keep weight on, especially in the summertime. They're not wanting to eat. It's hot here. Um, in the wintertime, if I've got a dog that's running and hunting a lot, I'm doing everything I can to keep that weight on them. Right. <laughs> and if yep. they're not eating, then they're not eating. Mm -hmm. um, so you've got a lot of those different elements to take into consideration. And as long as you're seeing that they're doing what they can do to the best of their abilities, your gut will tell you whether or not your, your decision is a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Makes a ton of sense. I think that's, I think there's a lot of good stuff there. Um, a lot of things for people to consider, you know, if you do end up sending your dog to a professional trainer and then like, I guess my question on top of that, and this is kind of how we'll, we'll wrap up the discussion on this, on this piece here is, so you send your dog off, right? You want to be, you know, you, you make a big investment, right? You send your, your, your child, AKA your dog off, you're, you're forking over, you know, a considerable amount of money. What should it, what should owners do to make sure that their investment with that pro trainer sticks? This one gets me a lot because most people that send their dogs to training are doing so because they simply don't have the time to do it themselves, which is totally fair. Where most people go wrong after training is they don't use the training. Your dog goes to training to shape their new behaviors. If you take them home and you go right back into the old routine, nothing actually changes. They don't have to follow through with new guidelines and new expectations. It's not a quick fix. It's never going to be functioning like that. Yes, there's going to be a lot of things that have greatly improved, but if you as an owner don't hold your dog accountable for the things that they learn in training, it will go away. Yeah. And it will go away a lot quicker than you might would realize. Yes. Um, yes. So don't let your dog be pushy. Be, you know, take, action when you need to but at the end of the day reward them for what they're doing well um, yes i think a lot of people are really good at saying no to their dogs because especially in obedience like that's all they tell their dogs before they come to training <laughs> and i'm like all right well your dog has learned yes now so tell them that what they're doing is good mm -hmm. and the more that you get into that the more that the dog is going to be able to say hey this is what they want me to do they're just going to stop telling me no if I keep doing these good things. Mm -hmm. um, and you can apply that to obedience. You can apply that to your gun dogs. Um, the structure at the end of the day is really the biggest element of it. So yeah. practice frequently. Don't hesitate to go back to the leash. Yeah. Um, no, that's, that's the leash gives you so much control. <laughs> like people don't realize that it's, it's crazy. Um, but you know, I think, I think the thing that I see too is, I'll see, I'll see dogs that go come in for training and then they'll go home and three months later, they'll come back and they'll be back where they were when they started. And there's nothing worse than that because all the time and energy that you put into the dog, you know, they, um, you know, it's all for naught and you got to come back and work on the same thing. And that's not what I want to do. I'm sure that's not what you want to do as a trainer either. Exactly. And, and I, I do get you know i'm very empathetic for that situation because life is busy especially yeah. in the world that we live in like yeah, things crazy. come up there are <laughs> it is there's always something that gets in the way yes. um, and i think that that's where if we just take the time to like slow down for 30 minutes out of the day and i mean you could take this under your kids if you wanted to but like just spend 30 minutes with your dog and don't just play like 
do some work and yes. you'll I think see a huge difference in their demeanor in the balance of your household um, but also in your progress through your training yeah 100 percent. I think I could not agree more with that it just takes a little bit of time and I think that's a great um, wrap up and put a little bow on that on that topic there so I know we're we're running we're running late on time here, running short on time here. So Kelsey, I have a list of rapid fire questions for you, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap up and um, you'll be able to deliver that dog to to the client. So, all right. My first rapid fire question is: Right now, how warm is it in South Carolina? Seventy six degrees. Okay, it's like fifty outside right now here in Wisconsin, so I need to know that. Um, you mentioned you put on six to ten miles a day walking. What is your training shoe of choice? I'm assuming it's not Crocs. It is Crocs. No way. <laughs> okay, so I'm picking. Um, I in the summertime I wear tacos, and in the wintertime I wear Lucchese boots. Okay. Okay. That's, that's, you know, that's, I, I get it. That makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So um, you're, so, you know, we talked a lot about like training tools and the training tool set. What's your favorite training tool that's in your tool set? My favorite training tool is a check cord. Okay. Um, whether we're on a prong collar, a choke chain, a slip leash, whatever it is, I can do so much with a check cord. Mm -hmm. um, distance work is something that I really value. And at the end of the day, you can always shorten it back up. Mm -hmm. So you can never add length to your six foot leash. That's, that is very, very true. All right. Um, what is the biggest mistake that owners make with dogs? Freedom. Freedom. 12 out of 10 dogs get too much freedom to make their own poor choices. <laughs> that because, is, that is a winning <laughs> quote right there. Oh my goodness. <laughs> People let dogs rule their worlds and I get it. It's fun. They're cute. They do silly things that make us laugh, but those silly things turn into really bad behaviors. And if you're working with a gun dog, it can turn into breaking. It can turn into inconsistency. There's so much of it that if you just, you know, hold your dog accountable for like five minutes, that goes away. Mm -hmm. um, so add a little bit of structure into their life and you'll notice a huge change and you'll appreciate it. And they'll, they'll be happier too. That's the other thing. Exactly. Yep. Because they, right. they won't have to be left to their own devices. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. How many hours per week are you working right now? Oh, gosh. What am I not working? Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so I get up. I usually get up about five in the morning. Um, I do my farm routine and then head to work about 738. Try to finish up around five to six. That's seven days a week and then once I get finished up at the kennel I go back home and back to the farm and I always have one dog in training full-time at my house so I mean 24 7 365 there it is the the, the uh, trainers grind right there yep. all right um just a, just a couple more then <laughs> okay uh, <laughs> all right what is your what's your favorite breed to work with people are going to think that I'm crazy when I answer this question. Uh -oh. <laughs> Pitbulls. Really? Why? They are balanced. 
naturally they're very balanced dogs. They're very intelligent. Um, they get a bad rap a lot because of poor influential structure and their important first six months of their life. Sure. Um, but the good ones that I have worked with, I could not, I mean, there's not enough money in the world to, to value, put a value on those dogs. Sure. Um, now, second to that is definitely going to be a lab. I'm okay. Not All right. I, I needed to, I was going to ask, <laughs> that's my next question. Where does the lab fall on the list? Because obviously I'm a lab guy. Yep. And, and I mean, at the end of the day, we breed labs, like, uh, we, the lab is superior. <laughs> um, I do like working with Boykins too, though. Um, I'm super positive. So I think that would be like my top three, like okay. pit bulls is in terms of my obedience work sure. and then the lab and then the Boykin. Sure. That makes sense. I haven't had the opportunity to work with a Boykin, so I'm, I'm curious to see. Oh, what so that is the like. Boykin is the South Carolina state dog. Okay. So we have a lot of them. Okay. They're, they're much more rarer in, uh, uh, Wisconsin. I would believe that. <laughs> so. All right. Last one here. Uh, any big plans for 2021, um, at Beaver Creek Kennels? Yes. I have bought a puppy uh -oh. out of Arkansas. Uh-oh. Okay. And I am really excited about her. Okay. Is, I, she what? is three weeks old. Um, British lab puppy. Okay. And I am going to start pursuing um, my first ever official gun dog training process. Awesome. By myself. So I'm awesome. really excited about that. This, um, okay. That is a, that is perfect because um, in a year from now, I want to have you back on and you can talk about that process. Um, you know, establishing the obedience and then transitioning into the, the um, further down the line with the gun dog stuff. So I think that'll be, that'll be a lot of fun. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So, all right, we're going to wrap up here, but Kelsey, um, why don't you give um, like some, you know, some information with such as like social media where people can get in touch with you if they have questions, um, you know, about some of the train philosophy stuff we talked about, um, where they can read your blog at, uh, where they can get in touch with you. All right. So best reference is always going to be our website. That's www.beavercreekkennels.com. Um, second best to that is going to be Instagram. Um, I'm on there pretty much every day. Um, so feel free to shoot us a PM on there or uh, fill out the contact link on our website and I will get back in touch with you as soon as possible. Sure. Yeah. And I can tell you that um, giving Beaver Creek Kennels a, a follow was probably worth your time. You put out a ton of content, like in the stories and stuff. It's, it's good stuff. Well, we greatly appreciate that. I've yeah. been working on that for a little while now. <laughs> yeah, you're doing, you're doing work. That is for sure. 24 seven, 365. <laughs> that needs to be your motto for the podcast. Uh, maybe we'll, maybe we'll name this one, uh, uh, doing work 24 seven, 365 and how to pick a pro trainer. That might just be it. So, all right. That's probably good. Yeah, I know you got to run. So I will let you go. Kelsey, thanks so much for your time. And I'm sure we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Tyler. Have a good yeah. one. You too. Bye-bye. That's it for today's podcast. If you could, please hit that subscribe button and share this podcast with another gun dog owner. If you have another 30 seconds, please leave a review. I'm constantly looking for ways to improve 
and make the podcast better, but I can't do that without your feedback.